And this evening, we are focused on what it is to be a true Christian, what it is to be one who is also welcome at the table of the Lord. Who is the Lord's Supper for? And I would say, for those who are dead. And if you hear that, then you may say, no, it's not for those who are dead, but for those who are alive. Spiritually, because it's a feast. And in order to feast on a feast, you must be alive. You must have hunger and you must be alive in order to nourish, be nourished by that feast. You must be alive. And you're right. It is for those who are made alive spiritually. And what a blessed thing it is. If you have that hunger, hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ, hunger for his righteousness, because the Lord Jesus himself says, blessed are those who hunger, for they shall be filled. They shall. And yet, at the same time, it still remains true. If you've been made alive, you've also died. Paul says four things about himself in verses 19 and 20, which is our text for this evening in Galatians 2. He says, I am dead. I am crucified. But he also says, I live. And I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Actually, more than four times, multiple times. He speaks of how I am dead. And at the same time, he says, I live. What does that mean? What is that, to be both dead and alive? The secret is to be dead and alive with Christ. That's our focus, dead and alive with Christ. And we see this involve being slain by the law. Secondly, being crucified with Christ. And third, being alive to God. And fourth, living by faith, dead and alive with Christ. That's what it's about. Slain by the law, crucified with Christ, alive to God, and living by faith. When Paul says here, I am, through the law, I am dead to the law. It implies there was a time when he was alive to the law at least thought he was alive to the law. What's a person who is alive to the law look like? You can think of someone who says, I know I'm not perfect, but I try to live good. I try not to do the, right, the wrong things. I try to do the right things. I try to be a good member of the church. I try to be a good whatever else it will be. I try hard to keep the law, to be good. And you're alive, you live by the law, and you live to the law. Another person may be very precise in insisting on what is right and on what is wrong. 
and what is correct doctrine and what is wrong doctrine and what is correct practice and what is wrong practice and you, you have it all figured out and you know exactly what is right and what is wrong. And you're concerned when others don't do what's right and don't think what's right. But it's all about what you do and what you say you believe. And is that not also a living by the law? If you live by the law, then you haven't understood either the law or the gospel. You haven't understood who you are or who Christ is. And then whether you are encouraged about yourself or whether you're discouraged about yourself as we are approaching the communion Sabbath, you're living by the law. Paul, Paul knows what it's like to do so because that's how he was once. He learned the law. He, he was alive to keep the law. He could say, touching the righteousness which is of the law, Philippians 3, he was blameless. The law came and he found it to be the way of life. What is life about? It's about doing your best to honor and to please God the way he commands. That's life. It's about your works. And Paul was also very concerned that a adding to Christ was creeping into the Galatian congregation. There were those who were going back to the law and thinking that life was found and life was maintained by obedience to the law in itself. But now looking back over his attempts to live by the law, he, he realizes he was actually dead to God, even when he thought he was so alive. He hadn't begun to serve God truly. He was still in the flesh and he was unable to please God. He was still corrupt. And now he says, I, through the law, am dead to the law. Through the law, by the law, I've been slain and it's left me dead. What happened? Paul tells us, doesn't he, in, in Romans 7, what had happened to him when he, he, he so prided himself in what he was. And there in the beginning of Romans 7, it speaks of how that commandment came and sin revived and I died. As that law came and it probed his very heart and it said, thou shalt not covet, and he realized he was had a heart that coveted and that lusted. He realized he was not alive spiritually, but that he was dead spiritually. And he hadn't kept the law at all. The law just stirred up sin. Paul had tried to overcome sin, but he couldn't. The law slew him. He thought the law was a crutch he could use in order to go to God. But he found it a sword that slew him. Slew him in the sense of slaying all his own self-righteousness, self-confidence, his trust in his own goodness, in his own obedience. He realized I'm under the law's just demands and I cannot keep them. That's how corrupt I am and therefore I'm under that sentence of death. Lay bare his sentence of death, that lay bare his spiritual death as he was there in his sin. 
by the law. I am dead to the law. The law has slain. Have you found the law to do the same to you? That you can no longer just live by the law. Because that law comes with its such a perfection that you've come to realize I can never keep that law. That instead, what is in me is corruption. It's sin that goes against the law. And because my whole being is against the law, that law is against me and pronounces the death sentence upon me. Maybe there was a time when you also were quite satisfied with yourself, content with how you lived. You came to realize it's all loss. And can, you cannot bring it before God and stand before God. And whether the Lord has shown you that in a, in a sudden way, shocking way, or whether he's shown that in a more gradual way, but it's come, that law has come to your heart and exposed your heart for what it is and shown you the danger that you are in and made you realize, I cannot live by the law. Paul says, I, through the law, am dead to the law. That's so important to learn, not only initially, but also time and again in the life of grace. Because this was a danger also among the Galatians. The, the next chapter, it warns them of, of going back to the law again as a way to live in order to earn something. And he's shown it will never do. I, through the law, am dead to the law, hopelessly unable to satisfy the law as a way of life. If the law demands do, I don't do. I have to confess it with shame, with sorrow. But to be dead to the law is more than that. Because when he says, I am dead to the law, he's saying also something even more. When the law comes with all its threats of death, when it demands disobey and die, it finds me dead already. It's a different sense. The law has come with its demand, disobey and die. Paul says, I have already died. I've become a dead person before the law. A person the law can no longer do anything to. I'm no longer under the law. I've become dead. How can Paul say that? Is it not what he says in Romans 7 verse 4? Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of of Christ. In other words, ultimately to be dead to the law is to be crucified with Christ. 
I am, he says in verse 20, crucified with Christ, which is our, our second element here. To not only be slain by the law, but crucified with Christ. Who is Christ? Coming Lord's Day morning, there will be that call, do this in remembrance of me. Me. Who is he? Do you know him? Do you know him as that glorious Son of God who came in the flesh and who lived, who was all alive to the law, who lived according to it perfectly? The law's demands came to him, and the whole delight of his soul was to do the law of God, to do the whole will of God, to fulfill its every requirement, its every demand. He kept it all flawlessly with his lips, with his life, with his heart, with his thoughts, with his desires, with his whole being. Every single moment, his delight was in the law of God. The law says, disobey and die. It could find no sin in Christ to say he must die. It says, do and live. It found everything in Christ as the obedience to the law. And there was every reason for Christ to live. Do you see him? Do you see him hanging upon the cross? Do you see his dead body hanging on the cross as the one who suffered the punishment of disobedience and transgression against the law? As the one who met the punishment of, of sin and endured it in its fullness. As the one, as Galatians 3 will say, who was made a curse. This only one who kept the law is the very one whom the law slew. How can that be? How can that be? Be done by the righteous God of all the earth, the judge of all the earth. How can he slay the one who kept the law? Who understands here this evening? Who sees it? Who says, that was me? That was my sin. That was my guilt. That was laid on him. That was my disobedience against of the law. My transgressions of the law which were laid upon him. And it was that, what, that is what he was enduring. The punishment of my sin. And do you know what that then means? That means in the eyes of God, you were hanging there on the cross. It means you were being crucified with Christ upon the cross. Believer, you died with Christ on Calvary. In the sight of God, you were condemned to death. Your sin was being punished as he died your death. And that's why Paul can say, I am crucified with Christ. I am dead already. 
and the eyes of the, law, of the law of God, and the eyes of God, the judge of all the earth. Those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he views as having died already, having that death sentence carried out upon them already in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And there, my friend, is the only answer. When your conscience accuses you that you've transgressed every commandment of his law and kept none of them, and that you're still inclined to all evil, when you so desire to serve God with all your heart and you find you so fail and you hear about repentance and you so realize that your whole life is to be one of repentance and yet you don't even repent as you ought and that's part of your sin. When you think it's a, it's a, it's a week and of preparation for communion and you want to be all holy to the Lord and full of Christ in this week. And you look within and you find so much that's the opposite of Christ in this week. And when in the midst of that all, Satan comes and says, who do you think you are? And he says, who do you think you are to think that Christ would want to sup with you? What is the response? It can never be to minimize sin and to say it's not so bad. It can never be to try to, to push away the thought of sin and to, to just focus on the good things in your life and hope that they will be enough. It never works. But only to confess. When the devil accuses you, it's true. And when the law accuses you, it's true. And when this, your conscience accuses you, it's true. It's all true that you've sinned and you deserve death. But then to say, but you're coming to the wrong place. You have to go with all those accusations to the cross. There where I was crucified with Christ. There's the answer. And there alone, to see that death sentence that all those accusations say that you deserve, to see that death sentence carried out on the cross in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Then what a wonder to hear the gospel and to hear that call to his table, and to hear Christ's declaration that I have shed my blood for you as a sacrifice for your sin. I bore your death sentence. My body was broken so that you might confess, I am crucified with Christ. As surely as I receive that broken bread, so surely am I crucified with Christ.
Christ, then all those accusations must be silenced. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, crucified with Christ. I've already endured the death sentence. It's not in front of me, but it's behind me. Curse is behind me. Blessing is upon me. Then it becomes the most humbling thing to come to the table of the Lord. Who are welcome at the table of the Lord? Those who confess one thing about themselves. I deserve to die. No excuse. I deserve to die. Because what is signified and sealed at his supper, his death, he was crucified. And it's through union with him that you may then confess, I am crucified with Christ. So humbling. So amazing. Why did the Son of God come to die in my place? There's no answer but his love. The sight of that is a death to all our own self-righteousness. And we're left with Christ and Christ alone. But there's also another aspect to this being crucified with Christ. It's not simply being delivered from condemnation of the law, but also from the power of spiritual death. When the Bible speaks of crucifixion or bearing the cross, it often refers not simply to forgiveness through the cross of Christ, but deliverance from the power of sin. Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Who is that I that was crucified with Christ? It was my old man, my corrupt old man, my sinful self, my depraved being. I, as an ungodly one, was crucified with Christ. My old sinful nature met its doom in the body of Christ on the cross. God judged and condemned and destroyed and slew that old man on the cross in order to free from that reigning power of that natural corruption, my natural corruption. That's why you could say our old man is crucified with him. And it says here, I am crucified with Christ. I am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Being crucified with Christ can't leave you the same. It's not just about being forgiven Hell is behind you and heaven is ahead of you. It changes you. Union with Christ must have an effect in your heart and in your life. I live. It's a third aspect here. 
to be alive to God. I live. Delivered from that bondage to spiritual death, raised to spiritual life, I live. And to live is not just that you have a pulse. In that sense, everyone lives who walks about this earth. But to live is to live as God defines life. And that's a life with God. A life in fellowship with the God of life. A life that meets the purpose of our creation, that is to know God and to enjoy him. Paul is saying, not even just since God has forgiven my sin, now I should live better than I used to. I should honor God. No, he says, I live. How can he say that? He says, Christ lives in me. This doesn't mean he's no longer a person. He still speaks of I. He, Christ, or Paul lives, but he lives because Christ lives in him. He still lives this life in the flesh, this frail body heading for the grave like others. But Christ lives in him. And there's the paradox. When the Holy Spirit slays all our self-confidence so that we find ourselves in the midst of death, it's there that Christ glorifies himself as the life. That's what he says, doesn't he? I am the life. I am the bread of life come down from heaven. That's what's essential. Christ in you, in me. Because without Christ, we have no life. We can go through the motions. We can come to church. We can come to the table. But without Christ, we have no life. Christ is the life. He declares it. He, as the, was the word made flesh who dwelt among us, as the life and manifested that beautiful, perfect life in his flesh. That knowledge of God, that love to God, that glorification of God, that walking with God, that submission to God, that true life, filled Christ, fills Christ as he went about also upon this earth. And how can I have life in me? It's through Christ dwelling in me. If you think of that, Christ, the one who's all glorious, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the one who's surrounded by all the praises of the angels and the redeemed there, the one who is the delight of his father there upon the throne. It speaks of this Christ dwelling in me. How can that be? And yet he does. And he does come to dwell by his spirit. Romans 8 says, If Christ be in you, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He comes to dwell in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit. 
And as he dwells there, he renews and he works spiritual life and he feeds that spiritual life in their very hearts. He lives in each one of his people. He doesn't just visit. He lives. He lives there always. He makes them his home, his dwelling place, and he never withdraws utterly. You can fear it. You can feel as if he's left. But Christ liveth in me, Paul says. Not just the moments I have communion with him, but he lives in me. And that's why I'm alive spiritually. And he will remain. And so for whom is the Lord's Supper? It's for, for those who are dead, have died with Christ on the cross, and yet live because Christ not only has done that great work for his people, but he also comes to work in his people. That new life. Is that you? That Christ is your life. Christ in you is a source of all your life. You've learned it's not you, but it's Christ. And that's why, because Christ is your life, you want to feed on Christ. And you want more life from Christ. And that's also why you want that communion with him. You see, the Christ leads to recognize his indwelling. He leads Paul to confess this, to know this. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ has led Paul to this confession. I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. What a beautiful thing that there is this self-denial but there's not a grace denial, a Christ denial. He denies himself, but he confesses Christ. Christ lives in me. What a beautiful thing to recognize that, to see that. I am what I am because of Christ. As he said elsewhere, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Is that also your confession? That you don't want attention for yourself. You say, it's not me. But it's Christ. It's what Christ has done for me. And it's what Christ does in me. All that's good is Christ. And all that's of myself is corrupt. Then it's so amazing, isn't it? Christ dwells in you. Christ on the cross. What a wonder that is. But Christ in me is no less of a wonder. Christ suffering for sin is such a wonder. But Christ living in sinful me is no less of a wonder. The cross, we would say, in one sense is no place for him. The pure and spotless lamb. 
And yet that's exactly the place where he was to be. We can also say a sinful heart. It seems no suitable place for him. And yet that's exactly where he delights to be in order to show his grace, to show his love, to show his presence, and to renew by his spirit. He says, I hung upon the cross in order to be able to come and to dwell in hearts like yours. Self-examination. First, Second Corinthians 13, verse 5, puts it this way. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. To be in the faith is to have Jesus Christ in you. And if you're not, if you don't have Christ in you, then you also don't have Christ for you. They're bound together. My friend, if you don't have this Christ tonight, do you not see what you miss? You have no one to take your place before the judgment of God that condemnation is not behind you. It's in front of you. It's right there in front of you. And any moment you may enter into it and enter into that judgment of God because you don't have the Christ who has taken that judgment away. You're not crucified with Christ then. And if you don't have Christ in that way, you also don't have Christ in you. And if you don't have Christ in you, then you don't have any life. Then you're spiritually dead, dead in sins and trespasses. And my friend, there's nothing worse to be dead in sins, even if you're going through the motions and coming to church, because it's all misery and an abomination to God. And if that's your condition still tonight, don't gloss over it. Don't put a mask on. But come before God with that problem. Come before God and confess that before God. Oh God, I don't know what it is for Christ to be in me and to be also crucified with him and be delivered from death by him. Confess that to him. Because this Christ lives, lives in order to, to save, in order to bring sinners to himself and unite them to him and deliver from that condemnation to death and deliver from that power of death within in order to be able to live, to live to God and to live with the prospect of eternal life. All this grace is in Jesus Christ. And therefore, my friend, you must go to him tonight. Cry out unto him with all that you lack and miss. To belong to Christ is to be crucified with Christ and to have Christ live in you. And that can also be a struggle. Because it's a, it's a powerful thing to say, Christ lives in me. 
You can also look at yourself and say, how can I say that? But he's always living in me. There can be some who, who feel there, there's times when I feel he's near. And there's other times I feel so far away from him. There's times when I taste his love and other times where I wonder whether I've ever tasted his love at all. It can go so up and down. It can be such a mixture. Sometimes there's hope and sometimes there's fear. Where are you to go with that all? Is it not to this God, to this Christ? And to learn this lesson, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The final thought, living by faith. How can you know Christ, I am crucified with Christ and he lives in me? And our first thought can be when I feel dead to sin and when I feel alive to God. And that's true. But our feelings can be deceitful. Paul thought he was so alive to God and dead to sin before he was converted. And after he was converted, he lamented in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, he felt the power of sin like he had never felt it before. And it pained him and it grieved him. And he so longed to live holy. That's why we can't just go by our feelings. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by faith, Paul says. Faith that is convinced that God's word is more true than my own feelings. Faith that trusts that what God says is more true than what my own heart tells me. Sin can feel so alive, and that judgment can seem so there. But the word of Christ, of God, says, you are crucified with Christ. And faith says, amen, so let it be. You can feel you so lack that life. But Christ says, your life is hid with Christ in God. And he also says, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly and truer than your feelings is that word of Christ. And it's a call, isn't it, to live by faith in what he says about himself, even in the face of all you feel, to cling to his word and what he says about himself. The object of faith here in this passage is not even in the first place what Christ has done in me. That's not what I'm trusting in. But he says, I'm trusting in what Christ has done for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's the son of God. He's called here. He's divine. So glorious. That's the one I trust in. The one who has divine power and divine grace and divine love and divine wisdom. And so he is so utterly trustworthy as the faithful one. Nothing can be greater than the Son of God. And it's this Son of God who gave himself for me. 
What more could he do to show his love than to give himself? If any man would give himself to death for me, that would be amazing. But that the Son of God should give himself to death upon the cross, give himself. What greater gift could he give than to give himself, to be delivered up to the curse of God? And yet he gave himself for me. How do I know? Through the gospel, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, First John 4, and gave him son, his son for a propitiation for our sins. How do I know? He invites to his table again to assure, to confirm what he has done. I have given myself for you. So that you would live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for you can seem too good to be true. But he did it in love, a divine love, a love that's incomparable to any other love. It's a love, Romans 5 says, which was for enemies. While we were enemies, he did this because he loved us with an eternal love. What a savior, what a redeemer, what a lamb of God who gave himself. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who are invited to his table. Is it not those who cannot live without this Christ? Because he's all. What he's done for you in his crucifixion and what he does in you, giving you life. You know that without him you have no life and all your life is in him. He says, come and I will show you what I've done again, to strengthen that faith, to teach you to live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that your confession? Amen. Let us pray together. O oh, gracious God, we pray to thee this evening after having heard thy word, thy word which testifies of the great gift of thy Son whom thou hast sent, even to the cross, for those who deserve to die, so that they might be crucified with Christ 
and so have death, that death sentence behind them and not ahead of them. And that thou dost also live in order to give life, for Christ is the life. And to sustain that life and to feed that life through the means of grace and also at thy table. O Lord God, who can put into words what thou art worthy of, as a God who has done such things. And we pray that this Christ would indeed be precious to each one of us, and that each one of us would know him in the power of his resurrection, raising us to newness of life, and that we would live by the faith of the Son of God, and his love for us, and his sacrifice for us. And Lord, we pray again, that if that is not so, that thou wouldst draw to him, slay with the law all self-confidence, expose that reality of death, and draw with the cords of love to this blessed Savior. We pray, Lord, to strengthen faith and to come and meet us where we are, and to lead us to glory in Christ and him alone. We give thee thanks for thy word and for this evening. And we pray to watch over us as we travel home and to also gather us together again tomorrow evening. Keep us in the day ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen.